Mr. Turpin. Hear me all right? Yeah, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Can yeah. you hear me all right? I can. Perfect. Yeah. It's only the 28th of January. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It still counts, though, doesn't it? We're, <laughs> we're on one. We're on version one. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the, the beta of 2016. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Uh, yeah, weary. Weary. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a struggle. And um, but Jessica's out, so uh, it's always a bit of a bun fight getting little one into bed. Yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah. Was it, was it um, a bedtime story? Yeah. Um, it, we're in the stage at the moment we don't get through many stories because they get changed a lot. Uh, but we're it's mid mid story. Yeah, or she, yeah, or yeah, she's pretty change, choppy and changey at the moment. But um, she's uh, it's mainly Gruffalo, um, which isn't too bad. But I've read it about three hundred times. Yeah, and uh, and then one called Stickman, which is a sequel. Oh yeah, <clears throat> it's quite good. Yeah, there was uh, an unrated version of that. Yeah, it was very good actually. Good. It was a bit darker than the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, they all died in it. No, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were put in. Like, it was like the end of Fargo. <laughs> uh, that is a dark turn. Mm. Um, uh. But no, uh, other than that, yeah, no, it's crazy busy at the moment. What about you? Um, I've got a couple of little commissions on. And a bit of client work for a client in Northern Ireland, doing some illustrations for a Seamus Heaney museum. Wow. Which is quite nice. Um, yeah, and that's it. Uh, I had an email this week about doing some more stuff in Shoreditch. So that's my backup plan. But you'd want to continue with what you're doing now rather yeah, than... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I might just go back... Um, kind of part-time three days a week maybe just to pay the bills and then that gives me plenty of time to draw yeah yes exciting well um i might as well i i should uh i should announce the show really shouldn't i that we are we've decided on a name and everything we're this is a welcome to north versus south um it's an occasional podcast <laughs> <laughs> that hopefully will be weekly. Uh, that will be uh, it's just a, two old duffery designers talking about design, but primarily um, talking about other stuff around design that they talk about over the tops of huge iMac displays when you never see anybody's face for days on end, um, apart from yourself. Um, but you talk to certain people in the studio. Rob and I were those two people that witted on about absolute nonsense. That everybody else just evolves headphones after a while. <laughs> it's a very nice way of putting it, though. About you know, you talk to people and you don't actually see them because of the IMAX. That's that's kind of a pretty good description of life in a design office. Yeah, I have vague memories of that life. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just crazy busy. Um, yeah. So this week, uh, this is kind of our first episode, but actually, we we did record one uh, about a month ago. Um, and it went really well uh, and actually recorded really easily. And I think um, my amateurishness suits the uh, the lo-fi uh, experience that people uh, want from a podcast. 
So, there's, going to be, there's going to be plenty more amateurish exactly, tonight. Exactly. Um, so what we thought we'd do is we've actually we're actually we're not even we're not organised, but we've got a kind of um, uh, schedule. Um, in fact, uh, I uh, we've decided that we should introduce both of us by um, asking each other questions. So my, it's my turn this week because um, I wrote some questions. <laughs> 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 You're making me feel bad already. Yeah, and my wife's been out. Um, the other key part of this this show is that um, we are going to do pie reviews. We're both lovers of pies, although um, if you uh, are listening to this, and it, that in itself will be a miracle, but if you are from not from the UK, then um, there is a north-south divide, um, and uh, we've reached out across that uh, with pies. I'm wondering if the, the north-south divide is actually going to be um, made worse by pie choices. Yeah. You know, and, you know, if I go for a classic pork pie and yours involves pheasant, for instance, <laughs> or swan. <laughs> yeah, um, that's my signature pie. Uh, so yeah, that's bad, that's bad. I'll, I'll avoid those. Um, but no, I, well, I do come from, uh, my grandmother's from Yorkshire, so um, I am partial to a pork pie, and, and that is actually what I've got a bit of on the desk. It's a very disappointing return. My uh, my wife, Jessica, went to Sainsbury's today, and, and she then she went to Waitrose, and she brought me back a Sainsbury's bog-standard pork pie, and the disappointment is... I don't, I don't think Waitrose is much better. No. I think I think you need to go to a specialist. Well, this is it, isn't it? But you get um, at least you get some uh, some individual brands in Waitrose. I don't well, think there were any to be had. Yeah. Anyway, I will be live at the at the end of the show, live eating a pork pie, um, which will then be recorded. So you'll be listening to it recorded live version of me eating a pie. So it's a beautiful thing to look forward to. Well, you know what what can go wrong. Um, I've also got a glass of thirsty ferret and a, and a pickled onion. You're really well prepared for this, aren't you? Yeah. Well, um, I thought I thought I'd be prepared. Um, so what I'm going to do this week is we're going to uh, have a quick interview. Well, I don't know how long it will take, but we're going to interview Mr. Turpin uh, about his life and how he got into the design and how he's um, becoming a very well-known and respected illustrator uh, and, um, and his plans for the future. Um, and we're going to talk a bit about pens. Um, I thought we'd talk about my new toy, the iPad Pro, and how I'm getting on with it. Yeah, just uh, to make me jealous. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about pies. So uh, without further ado, um, I will ask you a few questions. So, um, Rob. Rob Turpin, Mr. Turpin. Uh, Mr. What's, in, what's what's in your uh, latest page in your notebook at the moment? What have you been scribbling down? Now, this is the tricky thing that you need to be prepared for a podcast because you need to be able to reach for your sketchbook, yeah. even though your headphones aren't very long. <laughs> Let me have a look. He's going through a trap door, it sounds like. <laughs> So, uh, my latest sketchbook actually uh, is a tiny one that someone bought me for Christmas. A little moleskin, A6, and the last thing in it is a uh, drawing of a robot. Right. Which isn't that surprising. Uh, The previous page is a drawing of a robot as well, and uh, the page before that is a dinosaur. So that's one notebook. 
that I've got on the go at the minute. And the other notebook is full of writing, which are my plans for some sci-fi short stories. Right. Well, we're going to so, get we're going to get onto those in a, a, later on. Um, I've I've been meaning to ask you about those for ages. Um, so you you carry more than one notebook, and you actually do you organise what's in each one, or is it just what's nearest to hand? I've probably I think I've got three on the go at the minute. So one is like a general. They're all moleskins. One's a general sketching, drawing, doodling notebook, and then this tiny A6 one was just something simple that I could. Uh, I was away in Germany just after Christmas, uh, so it was just something small and portable that I could take with me. And then the one with the sci-fi stories is uh, a brand new moleskin that's specifically for sci-fi stories. What colour is it? They're all black. Oh, black. Okay. No, no lines. <clears throat> they they like, do a new navy blue one. Do they? That's oh, very nice. I really like the look of the. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. My German's not very good, but look, look. Um, that's what I use. See, they're really nice, but I don't think they don't open flat enough for me for drawing. No, you're right. They, but they're beautiful looking things. With they're, che- they're cheaper. Uh, in my my best uh, Yorkshire uh, ancestry, there came out, but they are cheaper. They are They're about two pounds. They are, and they look very nice with their colour contrasting elastic bands. Yes, and you can get all sorts of extra things for them, like a little pen holder and stuff. Oh, um, can you? Yeah, but I've just got a sky blue one. Um, I've I've got two almost entirely unused because they don't open flat. Ah, right. Which irritated me. So I the, also, the moleskin, um, skine, skin? Moleskin. Sp- Spelt skine, pronounced skin, right. I assume. But, th- but that, the, they have a flat uh, binding, right? Yeah, they open really flat. As do, the other one I've tried is... Um, this is going to become a podcast about sketchbooks. Oh, wow. uh, the other one I've tried is the... Baron Fig, which is very nice, cloth-covered, very similar to the the moleskin, uh, not quite as tall, um, but yeah, they're nice. Um, but the pages don't take ink quite as well as moleskins. So I always revert to a moleskin. Okay. So drawing in a sketchbook is something that you carry from childhood. So what were you... What were you like as a kid? Were you a solitary drawer or were you interested in drawing? Yeah, I always used to draw um, for as you know far back as I can remember. Um, I remember when I was little, we used to, I used to have a piece of wood about kind of a metre across or something. And I used to sit in the armchair with the wood across the arms to make myself a little desk. And I used to sit there and draw. And I, I can vividly remember... Uh, repeatedly saying to my mum, I don't know what to draw. <laughs> you know, I, I knew I wanted to draw, but, you know, didn't always know what. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I always drew. I, you know, drew before I went to school. And when I was at school, I was, I was always the kid that drew. And, you know, that carried on right up until college, really. <laughs> so you'd be the kid at the back of the classroom drawing cartoons and... Well, not cartoons, but kind of creatures and, you know, stuff from... Dungeons and Dragons and fighting fantasy books and, you know, things like that. Monsters and spaceships. Right. Um, but I wasn't solitary. Um, you know, I was, if I wasn't drawing, I'd be out on my bike with my friends, terrorising the neighbourhood. Mm. 
And is that where you discovered the alien from another planet and hid him in your wardrobe? Was that one way thinking I'm getting muddled up with something else? Isn't it? What? <laughs> oh, it's ET, isn't it? Sorry. Oh, yeah, that's the one. <clears throat> Moving on. No, so, um, um, so you drew spaceships and stuff, and that was just a boyish love that you've still got now of science fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also of... fantasy, because uh, that comes into your illustration as well, doesn't it, a little bit? It was probably more fantasy when I was a kid. I was always interested in space. Um, I remember getting a, a book when I was about four years old called The Universe, which I'd got my I pestered my parents to get me from my friends. You, know, you used to get those magazines that were kind of book clubs, and you'd be able to send away for and you had to send away for so many books a month. Yeah, and I used to um, send away for books. And I remember when I was really young, getting my mum and dad to buy me this book called The Universe, and I've still got it. And um, it was way too old for me, but that was kind of my entry into learning anything about space. So space was always always fascinated me. But when I, I think when I was a kid, kind of fantasy art was was more, I don't know if it was more accessible. Um, I mean, I had sort of Star Wars as my kind of cultural reference point for space and sci-fi and stuff. I'm not really sure what I would have had as um, sort of fantasy art, but mm. certainly I used to draw monsters and orcs and dragons and stuff like that you see yeah for me the sci-fi and um, i don't know what it is about star wars but it's not to me it's not sci-fi it's more fantasy it seems it's more of a quest and i don't know i, I don't get you know for me sci-fi was um uh, books that i would read the mars series of books that when i was a kid that i can't remember what they were mm. about but they, they, they it was more spaceman you know more more uh connected to our present than than um than this sort of fantasy world that they inhabited. I don't, I don't yeah. know, maybe I just wasn't... Well, no, I mean, you know, the first Star Wars film was very much a little fantasy quest, wasn't it? Like mm. you said, it's, you know, it's wizards and swords and, you know, big, bad, evil monster, really. Yeah. Mm. Um, I guess there were things like Book Rogers and Star Trek was around and Space 1999 and stuff yeah. like... Doctor Who. And Doctor Who, of course. Um which I did love as a kid. Yeah, but that crossed genres quite a lot, didn't it? And it was often <laughs> in Victorian London with Tom Baker in my in my age. It was like yeah, in, in some sewer with some weird space rat. Yeah, the, yeah. I, th- I think there was a, a lack of real kind of good hard sort of sci-fi stuff going on. I'm not sure that's um, changed that much in Doctor Who. <laughs> so when you. Um, went on to further education, etc. What what made you choose graphic design over illustration? Um, and what did, did you were you interested in graphic design? Was it something that interested you? This is a weird thing that I'm trying to I've been trying to think about um, just lately. Um, so I did GCSEs, I did art, and I did design communication, um, and. I was going to do A-levels. In fact, I did do A-levels, but only for six weeks. realised they were way too difficult. Um, and then I worked for a year, and I worked at uh, Civil Engineers, and I was kind of like their junior draftsman. So I guess kind of that and design communication, um, but kind of the tightness of technical drawing and everything, made me 
sort of stumble across graphic design as a as a thing. Um, and I went and went to college to do a graphic design diploma, um, which didn't go very well because they kicked me out after a year. Um, and then I did a foundation uh, in art and design, which I did finish. Um, but then I went on again to do graphic design as a degree, which I didn't finish. Um, it's a theme there. But I was thinking about the illustration, why I never considered it. I think there was a point where it was something that seemed unattainable because I just couldn't see myself ever being as good as the people I, that I liked. Um, you know, the people who did the covers for, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons books or fighting fantasy covers or, you know, the people in 2000 AD, you know, I could never really see myself being good enough to make it as a career, even though, you know, I was the best kid at drawing at my school. And so when I got to college, even when I did foundation studies where you study kind of four or five different elements of the arts, so there was fine art, there was fashion, there was graphic design sculpture and there was illustration even then I, it never occurred to me that that could possibly be uh, a career and the th- I think the thing that disappoints me a little bit which is maybe me just blaming someone else is even though I was very good at drawing no one ever said to me have you ever thought about illustration and I think maybe if my tutors had, had have said you know why don't you think about it maybe I would have yeah and then I wouldn't have wasted a decade running bars. <laughs> but do you think that um, you say so you fell into? How, how do you think you fell into graphic design? Then I mean, I think you, it came from design communication. Yeah. Um, at school, we did. Uh, you know, you had to kind of work on a project to design something, and or kind of present a case for something. So there was a lot of design elements in that. Um, and we used to read a lot of, we used to read design, which I don't know if it still exists, kind of the trade magazine design, um, not design week, which is the kind of graphic design and advertising magazine. The design I think was more product and kind of architectural design and interiors and things. But I think that kind of exposed me to graphic design. So I think that's what pushed me in that direction. Um, I remember when we did the foundation studies um, and we did the fine art section and I really enjoyed it, painting great big canvases or slapping paint on you know, two metre bits of wood and getting quite creative. I remember saying that I was saying to the tutors that I wanted to study fine art at that point and they, they absolutely said, no, you're not suited to fine art, you should do graphic design because it kind of suits you better. So I did. <clears throat> and that didn't really work out either. I mean, it, you know, it was fine. I did it, I, you know, the, for a long time I did enjoy graphics, uh, particularly sort of type and branding and things like that. But um, as a graphic design student, I I didn't do very well. I didn't kind of, I didn't get as much out of the projects as I should have. You know, if the project didn't sort of instantly appeal to me. I was really bad at trying to find something in it that I did like. Yeah. So, so my kind of student life went from 
if a project I you know if there was a project I liked I'd get a distinction if there was a project I didn't like I probably would end up not doing it which is why they eventually asked me to leave again <laughs> so because when I was I mean when you were growing up did you have any idea what graphic design was I mean like before you you did it as you know O level or wherever it was because well, I, I read about designers saying you know things like um Oh, you know, I used to copy the typography off the back of cereal packets. Um, well, look, for me, that's just weird. Yeah. Isn't that borderline weirdo? <laughs> it's, it's weird, but what I do remember when I was a kid, I used to I used to do posters for things. Yeah. Um, and I remember I used to, you know, construct a grid and put the headline in and stuff. They always used to be kind of slab serifs. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, nice and easy, easy to draw from a grid. But, you know, I do distinctly remember doing posters and type and stuff when i was pretty young yeah um and i used to do them for things at sc- <clears throat> things at school as well so it was i guess it was always there yeah it's it's yeah that's amazing you are a borderline weirdo then thank it's you good. congratulations <laughs> is your, yeah. when you got into working in design um what is your experience being positive about it is it something you'd encourage you know a family member to you know a young family member or a friend to go into yeah i think so i mean i've i've increasingly the longer i've been in it the the further i've gone from kind of creative design i've gone more towards production and kind of artwork and stuff like that i think that's perhaps you as a freelancer you you go to a studio and if you've got you know quite a bit of experience then they tend to push you towards that kind of the more technical production side of things whereas obviously when you start off in graphic design you want to be the the next neville Brody or whoever um but yeah you know it's it's interesting you get to work with interesting clients and it can be fantastically creative i certainly enjoyed working for smaller studios rather than the, the few big studios that I've worked with because, you know, if you work in a small studio, you generally get to play around with most elements of projects. You get to work on the logo design and you get to set type and you get to, you know, work on images and stuff. Whereas, you know, you work for a big a big design agency and you get kind of, not necessarily pigeonholed, you just get, you have a, a role within that team and the roles are generally quite narrow. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so my first job working in a London agency, I was working for a design agency that was working for Tesco. And for seven months, I just worked on Tesco value packaging, which was, you know, pretty soul destroying really. You know, you, can choose from one or two typefaces and all your photographs have to be a, a blue monotone and <clears throat> you know you have to find somewhere to stick the nutritional information so that's not why i got into graphic design to do that kind of thing so i've always enjoyed working for the smaller agencies like soda where i met you um much more because you you just get involved in all the different aspects of a, a project Hmm. but yeah i would i would recommend it i think i think i i don't know i I wasn't creative enough 
early enough in my career to to really become kind of a you know a senior designer somewhere or a, you know the kind of creative lead in a team um and maybe that's just because my kind of design career was kind of stop start i think you know there's too much freelancing and too much time away from the industry altogether you know if i'd started when i left college or when i got kicked out of college um you know worked at you know two or three agencies over 10 years i think you know my career would have been very very different but yeah. that's just not the way it worked out so do you see that some of your creative output has pushed you back into illustration i mean i've read in a i've read an interview today with you and um you said that you drew a hamburger and that got you suddenly you hadn't drawn for 16 17 years and yeah. you sketched a hamburger on some nice paper yeah um, is that do you think that's the spark of you trying to um uh trying to help output some creative you know force that Absolutely. you have inside you i mean because it's obviously worked incredibly well absolutely that was it was very strange for me when i i drew that and thought oh, i really enjoyed doing that and i think it looks kind of cool and you know i started doing a few more doodles with a you know the reasonable pen on nice bits of scrap paper and i really enjoyed it and it was a real shock to me to to then think i've barely drawn for 15 17 years and yet if anyone had ever asked me you know what my hobbies were i'm sure i would have said drawing even though i was never doing it so it was it was definitely i think forced on me by the monotony of some of the design work i was doing um and now it's you know going back into design which i will do from time to time you know even if it's just to uh, for a week or two to pay the bills, you know it's quite uh, quite apprehensive about going in and not having that creative output. Yeah. So, uh, and, and how did you get so? You know, how did you push all your drawings on? You know, how did it? How did it happen for you? How did you suddenly get so many followers and you know become? Uh, it was it just. Did it take a long time, or just did it suddenly happen overnight? Or it was—I started um, a blog just, I think, just after I'd met you, um, maybe just before I met you. Can't quite remember. I started a blog with the in, intention of it, kind of forcing me to draw more often, um, which kind of worked a bit. Certainly drew more than I had in the previous fifteen years. Um, but I wasn't—I didn't feel like I was progressing because I wasn't drawing enough. So I decided I'd do a. A drawing a day, I'd set myself a drawing a day challenge, which initially I was just going to do for a month. And I thought I'd draw myself a robot a day for a month. And then practically as soon as I started it, I thought I'll do this for a year. That's a challenge. So I set up a Tumblr account um, and posted a robot drawing every day for a year. Um, and Tumblr's quite a good kind of output for that kind of thing. Um, and it got picked up by a couple of Tumblr editors a couple of times. So they kind of posted it. There's a thing called Tumblr Radar, okay. which, is, which is the equivalent. of Everyone who goes on Tumblr on the, the website sees an image whenever they look at it, and that's Tumblr Radar. So a couple of my robot drawings, I think maybe three, got on there. So from having 
no Tumblr followers when I began the project on day one. Um, I finished it with seven and a half thousand. Um, was, it, was that a gradual growth, or was it suddenly whenever was, you were was, featured? It was reasonably gradual, but those those Tumblr radar things just you know would add a thousand followers in yeah. two days. And did that blow your mind a bit when it, it first is. happened? Because you know, really, it was really strange because not many people were seeing my drawings up until then, apart from friends and family. So it was it was quite a it was just quite a nice feeling to know that other people liked my stuff yeah and we were you did you, i mean were you were you drawing for an audience or were you just drawing for the pleasure or were you just finding your feet and working out what you really were trying to say i think when i started i thought if i draw every day for a year even if it's only five or ten minutes at the end of that year i'll be so much better yeah so that was my reason for doing it. i just wanted to get better and i wanted to get into the habit of drawing again um at the end of the year i was better but nowhere near the level I thought I'd be at because if you, if you don't necessarily have much time to draw during a day, you don't necessarily challenge yourself. And obviously you, you're limited slightly if you're going to draw a robot every day, you know, there's only so much challenge there. So I think if I'd have done life drawing every day for a year, you know, that would have had much more impact on my skills. Um, but, you know, it served a purpose and it got me drawing regularly again to the point that now if I don't draw for a day, I get itchy and grumpy and feel like I haven't really accomplished much, even if I've been at work all day. Um, you know, I feel now that I need to draw something every day for that day to be a good day, really. And you de- you've obviously been developing different styles for your your illustrations and um, you've got quite a split between um these kind of bleep landscapes and then you've got these very flat on sort of almost like uh, cross um sections of islands um, and buildings and then you've got your little spaceships um uh, is is there is there a definite um plan behind having three different styles or is that something that you might not even know about or do you- no i'm I'm definitely aware of it and i think a lot of it just comes from a lack of skill and that you know most of my stuff is flat whether that's the like you say the islands where you see the kind of top and the bottom of this island through the ocean or the the city scenes that are very flat front on no perspective and again my spaceships have very rarely seen anything other than side on so that's almost entirely down to my lack of ability at drawing things particularly yeah. well. But I, although I saw somebody's rendered one of your spaceships. They have, and it's kind of cool. It's amazing. The good yeah. thing about that, obviously, is they, they sent me the, the little video of it yeah. rotating, really? spinning on all axes. Oh, wow. So now, now, now you've got to get that printed. Well, yeah, but now that's my perfect reference for drawing that spaceship from any angle. Yeah. Um. Is that something you're interested in yourself in starting to render them in three dimensions? No, 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 I just want to be able to draw them well in three dimensions. Right. Um, But I just, I find it very difficult. Um, Yeah, I can draw buildings in three dimensions, you know, I'm quite happy with, you know, two and three point perspective and, you know, I know the, the techniques involved, but when it comes to something that's less of a box, um, a spaceship or a person or a 
whatever. I just find it very difficult, and I lose. If I try and draw spaceship in three dimensions, I kind of lose all the kind of gnarly, curious bits of it that I would get from drawing it just on, in a in one plane. Well, I, I, that's what the appeal of this. I like the the scale, the small scale of them, and the uh, yeah. I just think they're absolutely brilliant, and the your mind does the imagination, pops them into three D. It doesn't doesn't need to be in three D. Yeah, but, I've tried to add some sort of uh, volume to them recently yeah. use, using markers, which kind of works, but it, it still is going to limit me in what I can do with them. In terms of telling stories? Yeah. Um, and that gets me on to you telling stories. Um, let's start with the bleak landscapes that you, you know, these sort of, are these dystopian future views or are they past or are they, are they just left open so that you start imagining stories, you know, that you as the viewer or are they start, are they telling a story of where you, where you've think, been in your head? I think it's a little bit of both. They started absolutely when I was working with you and I did, I had a moleskin, um, sketchbook, I think it was a moleskin, uh, and I did a drawing of a little landscape that looked kind of like a um, a Wainwright drawing, you know, the yeah. uh, the fell walker and writer about the Cumbrian fells. Um, and that, I'd never really tried to draw that kind of a landscape before with the, that kind of amount of detail and trying to you know, really show the kind of textures of the rocks and things. So that started just from that one one doodle. I, you know, I drew a tree on it with a kind of rock at its base and then just expanded that to this whole landscape. So I think all, a lot of my landscapes come from that, which is, I think a lot of them start at places I know or kind of, you know, my faulty memory of places I know. So whether it's Exmoor or the, the moors or Cumbria, um, so that a lot of them try to be realistic-ish, but none of them have ever got any. Well, hardly any of them have got any people in them. Yeah. Um, partly because I'm not very good at drawing people. Is <laughs> that my style is driven by my lack of ability again, um, and partly because I, I think I just like to um, kind of imagine. The, the people in or leave it open for other people to yeah to forcing a story down people's throats but yeah. letting them sit there and think oh you know wonder what this stone is doing or why it's there or yeah but if we take that and then go, uh, go to actually telling a story um, what can you tell us about asteroid belt blues <clears throat> well i i got um this little idea for one story um which was uh, very simple. One uh, one lone guy in a spaceship flying um, because he hears a woman's voice on the communications, and he thinks it's um, he thinks he needs to save her. So he, he flies off in his little spaceship. And uh, my idea for the, the story, or illustrated story, or comic, or whatever it becomes, is it's very much about his loneliness in this little tin can in the middle of the vast space. Um, and then I, I kind of got ideas about 
where this was set and that it was a pretty realistic future, a couple of hundred, maybe 300 years down the line. And it would be about the frontier um, of kind of space exploration, but in a kind of gritty sort of slightly mundane way. So it's about, you know, he's a courier basically, you know, he just flies around between space stations and delivers things, but it would be about people mining the asteroids and very mundane jobs. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be space opera. It wouldn't be big, uh, big battles with giant spaceships. It wouldn't be aliens. It would be about, you know, mining and, you know, people getting stuck in their airlocks and, yeah, like that. So, so I've started like the mundane side of like, like um, sort of realistic cowboy stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I started writing the background um, to the kind of to that period of time. Um, so I've got a timeline um, which stretches from. Um, let me just have a look. It starts in twenty thirty one with the first manned mission to Mars. And it goes as far as, so far, I haven't written it all, I'm up to 2207. And it's uh, kind of hard sci-fi, is it? So yeah. It, which uh, is the realistic form yeah. of, it takes a long time to get anywhere. You know, it takes weeks to get to, you know, the planets and things, even with 300 years of advances. There's no faster than light travel, there are no aliens. Um, yeah. So it's and I've got, there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've got ideas for three or four stories. I think actually before that, before I got that first story in my head, I think I'd started thinking about it because some of the droids I did for the Droid a Day project, I gave them little descriptions. Well, I often give them descriptions of you know he was a ex. The haulage robot from the planes of Mars that was caught uh, up in. Yeah. The... <clears throat> I really like those. They really added to the drawings. It was quite nice did. because you don't have to. And the same with the stories. I I don't want to tell a whole, you know, sweeping story with them. They want to be little sort of excerpts from from a, a bigger picture that you don't necessarily, you know, you're never going to have all the facts. So these little stories about the droids were just descriptions, and you could. You know, they referenced um, like a Martian civil war and they referenced, uh, you know, battles for control of political battles for control of, you know, the moons of Saturn and things like that. But that's all you have. So you have to fill in the gaps yourself. And it, it kind of allows me to, to write little stories placed kind of anywhere in that timeline. Um, and will these stories be illustrated? Are they? Is it kind of a uh, comic, or is it? Uh, can, could, would you have to kill me to tell me? Or? No, the first story is uh, there's a script for a comic, um, and there's panel descriptions. Um, whether or not it it ends up being a comic, I don't know. It might end up being a an illustrated story. I think some it'd be quite nice to do. You know big full-page illustrations of this little tiny spaceship against, you know, the, the kind of crescent of Saturn, its rings and things, just to make 
so you could really tell how small and insignificant this little ship is and things. Plus, obviously, drawing a comic's very difficult. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> well, I think if you, anyone could put it off, it will be you. And um, Well, thank you, John. I wish you all the best with it. And I can't wait to, uh, to start reading some little snippets and stories about it. Well, maybe, um, maybe I'll fire over a little preview for you. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, so uh, where can people find you if they're looking for you on the web? Everywhere. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all over social media. You're like John. a social octopus. I am. Uh, so I'm on Twitter. My uh, name on Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr is This Northern Boy. Uh, and I also have a a blog on WordPress, so that's thisnorthernboy.wordpress.com, and they're kind of my main places. Instagram and my blog really are the places I put most of my drawings. Excellent. Um, yeah. Well, let's end up uh, because we have, we've gone on a bit. We've um, I don't know what it, the time is even. Um, but uh, thank you very much for answering those questions. Yeah, we've done 40 minutes now, but let's just go on to quickly talk about, um, you just recently posted about pens and uh, somebody's, you did an interview as well for a pen blog, didn't you? A I did. I, I, buy most I, of my, I buy most of my pens from Tiger Pens. Tiger Pens. And they did a little Q&A <laughs> about pens. Yeah. Uh, and I did a, an interview with the people at WordPress as well. Uh, and they asked oh, right. me a lot about my... Um, you know, materials I use and pens, yeah. sketchbooks. No, it's what, fascinating. I, and I always love reading uh, things like that. Um, and uh, what was really interesting was just about pens, as in like the liners that you use. Um, yeah. Uh, but you have different, you use different types of liners as well. What, why do you, uh, this is a really geeky question, but why do you use different types of liners? What What's the difference to, between the rotoring and the, I don't know, what, the, the, the rotoring, the rotoring ones, I are using quite thick sizes, so like a 0.5 or a 0.7 nib, and then I have these Copic multi-liners, which are the kind of silver ones, silver metal ones, which look quite funky. But I use those, the really fine nibs on those, like 0.03, so super fine. But the the rotorings just give a really, they're quite, the flow on them is quite quick, so with a thick nib and quite quick ink flow, you can kind of scribble around and get some quite loose drawings, even though it's a technical pen. Yeah. And then, you know, I use the Copic, the, the, the finer ones really then to just go in and tidy up and add detail and stuff. So they're my, they're the two pens I use the most. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do, I do like pens. I've got a lot <laughs> of them. Yeah, I just I, I tend to um, I just tend to use two pens. <laughs> I've got a, a rotating art pen I really like, and I've, uh, had, yeah, I've, I've got, had it since I was about eighteen. I've got um, one of those. It's well, not I, the I, it's not the italic one. It's just a straight. Yeah, just the one I've got. But it's um, like a fountain pen. Yeah, it? I like the flow of the ink on it. Um, I I got that, and I didn't find that it was flexible enough, so I didn't get enough variety of line with it uh, right. for me. Yeah, I I have trouble. I struggle with line and uh, and and being loose because i never draw so um it, what you need to do is a, a, a drawing a day John. yeah i know oh, that, that'll work well i've started um with my new ipad pro <laughs> bastard <laughs> uh 
<laughs> yes, your new iPad Pro. Yeah, well, I went in and tried it uh, before Christmas and said I wouldn't get one. Oh, it's actually in November, I think, and um, I found it very tippy-tappy, as in, yep. like, on the glass. Um, and then uh, I had a bit of money because of um, the tax year and stuff, and I thought I'd get rid of some profit. So mm-hmm. um, I bought one, um, and it's replaced my laptop totally. I haven't opened my laptop since I've had it. I mean, I've only had it two, two or three weeks. Have um, you got a keyboard with it then? No, I haven't. Um, I, I, um, I don't really, you know, I wouldn't sit in the dark in the lounge at night typing out stuff. Mm. Um, I'm done by the end of the day. So yeah. I've got my iMac here. Um, I have got a Bluetooth keyboard that you could use with it. And I, you know, may in the future get a cover, but I don't think it's good, it's comfortable enough to it's it's not comfortable enough to do that sort of long yeah. form typing. But for everything else, it's just amazing. I'm really really impressed with it. I think it's the best Apple product I've used um, since I bought my iMac. <laughs> um, Terribly jealous. Yeah, no, it's really nice. Um, the screen isn't that bad. The drawing on it is so natural. The Procreate app is really good um that i've been using trying out there's a few quirks in it that's really annoying um but the uh, palm rejection is you know 90 percent of the time it it understands why you've got a hand on the screen and it doesn't mark it does sometimes if you've got a watch on i'm left-handed and i draw left-handed with my watch on and it sometimes drags but you know you get that with paper don't you Um, and i and i understand the argument that i could just do this on paper but um it's just the sharing and the being able to multi-layer and undercolor and you know all the things that I can do live. Um, it's just fabulous. Um, also, just using the Notes app, just it's yeah. just absolutely superb because you can draw inside Notes. Um, so I've used that with clients all the time. Um, presenting to clients is brilliant. Yeah, it's it's a really really good. Product. I must I must have a go on one. Yeah, well, uh, welcome to. Or am I? And you know, I'm not using it all the time. So next time we meet up, have a go. I'll snatch it back from you. The last you see it. But the pen is really good, um, and it's only going to get better, isn't it? Um, I've used this yeah. thing called AstroPad, which is um, you install it on your Mac and you install it on your iPad, and it yeah. turns it into a Cintiq. Um, okay. So you can use Photoshop and Illustrator. You just set up an area on the screen. And it throws it. I thought you had to have it plugged in, but you don't, and there's no lag whatsoever. Which is, wow! Yeah. So, do you have all your Photoshop palettes? Yeah. Well, you just you, set, you literally draw a shape out on the on the iMac screen or your, your Mac or whatever, yeah. um, and whatever's within that that boundary um, is appears on your iPad. Wow! So you could do anything really, but um, you would have to set up a workspace. You know, you'd have to spend time doing it, and I, you know, it's something I never do is set up workspaces. <laughs> I'm so yeah. I never have time. Um, and then uh, you know, Adobe updates it and resets all your your lovely yeah. workspaces all the time. So um, I'm I'm totally at war with them 100 percent of the time. Um, but yeah, so I, I absolutely recommend it 100. percent The pencil is an amazing product um i will lose it or break it um um so yeah that's the only downside of it i guess yeah, yeah. but um yeah it's no. really interesting but it doesn't get away from the fact that you're not actually drawing on um on paper i i, I do think that the advantages are going to outweigh that you know like you say the, the ability to layer things and you know just I just think it's going to be, and different kind of textures you're going to be able to get with because I guess there are 
you know, if you're working in Photoshop, you can just use all the different brushes and. Yeah, well, Procreate um, it uses a similar brush engine, so um, you you can import a shape and a texture, and then play around with all the different um, bits and bobs. And I'm yeah. guessing people like because I use Carl Webster's brushes in yes. Photoshop. Yeah. He's fantastic. I think I know that he's been spoken to by Procreate because I saw him on Twitter. So if yeah. he starts selling brushes that you can import into Procreate, then it's going to improve immeasurably because some of the shading is the textures repeat far yeah, yeah. too quickly so yeah. um you just don't get that proper proper look but the pencil is the first time i've actually you know picked up a pencil used a pencil tool and it looks like a pencil if you yeah. you know when you use them in photoshop it never feels or looks like a pencil yeah. um but this really does it has the right bite and and the pens are great the the ink pen i really like the it's like a you know like a a, pe- a Pentel marker or whatever. What do I? Yeah. It's a uniball eye. It's got. It's like yeah. a, a gel pen, and um, it works really nice. So you push at the end, you get a little ball at the end of the line, and it, it works. It works really, really well. So Sounds yeah, I've great. Been, been playing with that, um, and um, but I, just, I haven't had much time to uh, to do many drawings really. But um, I'm slowly posting them onto my Tumblr thingy. You are, and uh, they're looking good. Well, I've been doing them on the train because I've been going up and down on the train a lot um, to London Town. Really? So yes, yeah. I've got I've got three big projects that are all up in there. there so yeah, I'm okay. doing travelling up and down quite a lot. Well, so, that's yeah. that's an excuse for us to meet up. And if yeah. I'm back in London next month and you're to in and froing. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be there every week or every other week um, at meetings. So we'll um, we'll meet up for a pie. That would be great. Yeah. And now, with no further ado. <coughs> I shall eat a pie. Did you get a pie? I didn't. No. So I'm, uh, I've got this slightly I'm... flabby grey pie um, that it has no texture to it. I'm now eating it, um, but the pastry is still damn good. Is there any jelly? Um, very, no, there is no jelly. <sighs> Terrible. I like it. I like aspic. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to have loads. Yeah, I love, I love it. Good wadged jelly in my pot pie. Mm, I got a bit of mustard on mine. Oh, uh, see, I'd go for uh, I'd go for braille sauce on a pot pie. Really? I would. Yeah. Maybe pick a lily. Mm, I've gone for French mustard because I'm middle class. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine your your fridge has uh, a variety of mustards. Oh, you can probably tell the class of a person by the amount of different mustards in their fridge. We do. We do have different mustards. Of course you do. Um, but only because uh, we were brought some back from Dijon. A r- really bright green one that's quite alarming. Really? Wow. It's lovely. It's got, um, it's, I think, what, what has it got in it? Tarragon or something like that. Oh. It's awesome. There's what do you, whole, ha- what do you eat the tarragon mustard with? Um, I, chicken, something like that. I, I mix it into mayonnaise and make dressings with it. <laughs> yeah, sounds delightful. Yeah, well. How's, um, how's the pie then? It's pretty good, actually. It's actually my dinner as well. Because um, the wife's out, I can't be bothered to cook. Yeah, I haven't actually eaten yet. All right, well, I'm now quite hungry. Listening to you well, eat a pie. I'm trying to squeeze this down the phone line. <laughs> it's not working. Mm. I'm going to take a, a sip of thirsty ferret. Very nice. Which I like, and I also have connection with because he's uh, one of the um, sons of the founding family of Woodhouse, Woodhall, Woodhall. I can't remember. No, my, I can't. my brain is empty. They're down in Dorset anyway. Yeah. But they, um, Woodhouse and Hall, I think they're called, aren't they? 
uh, he was in the Dorsets with my great great uncle. Oh, okay, uh, was the machine gun officer there. Wow. <clears throat> so, um, yes. you've got an allegiance. I do have an allegiance to them. Yeah, and I actually like their beer. So, for southern beer, it's not bad. Well, you know, for southern beer. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, and I was going to play it to the. I was going to eat it to um, the music of Gonzo, wasn't I? Um, so uh, <laughs> next week, when it's my turn to, uh, or the week after, it might be, have to be the week after. Uh, when I interview you, uh, I'm going to have to get a very good quality pie and some nice beer just to just to make you jealous. Yeah, well, I, I think we should definitely agree on a pie and then just buy, go and buy one and find yep. a supermarket that sells them. But if I do see you in the next couple of weeks in london um if you do start up in town again absolutely it'd be great um but yeah i think we're we're done here aren't we we've got no I follow-up. So. i've done i've st- um we will have a website um very soon um i've started working on it so um are you working on the jingle there. as well <clears throat> um no i did in austin when i was in austin uh, in texas i um picked up went to this record shop it was a brilliant record shop called waterloo records and i found a um London Street Cries of the 16th century. <laughs> That's right up your. Uh, I've never street. played it. I haven't even played it. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to stick it on the record player and see if I can find a good street sound. If there's that a good pie be, seller, um, has to be a rich cry. source of jingle. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll see. We'll see. But I've started drawing um, the idea that we spoke about, so that will be yes. on there as well. So okay. yeah. But um, thank you very much for your time. It's and, an absolute um, pleasure, John. It's been lovely hearing you eat a pie <laughs> uh yeah um and uh we'll be back soon but uh i will um yeah and i'll try and get a website where you actually might be able to download this from should you be insane <clears throat> in years to come it'll be um it'll be seen as the the most listened to podcast <laughs> by us by us <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right john fantastic really, really nice to speak to you Speak soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.